The Writer Files, a member of the Podglomerate Network. I want to mention a great resource for writers, and this month's sponsor, Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories. I'll expound later in the show, but the short version is this long-awaited book about the craft of creative writing from New York Times bestselling author Steve Almond sets out to debunk the well-meaning but misguided myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and most honest work. Pick up a copy today of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, wherever you buy books, more soon. Greetings, scribes. I have got some exciting news to share. The Writer Files now has an exclusive Patreon community where subscribers will get exclusive access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and content from productivity and publishing experts each month. In the meantime, just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. It's free to join Patreon to get a preview and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something special. Rainmaker FM. Greetings, writers and others interested in writerly stuff. Welcome back to another special edition of The Writer Files called The Best of the Writer's Brain. A series neuroscientist Michael Gribko and I started in 2015, where I enlisted his help to give us a tour of the inner workings of the writer's process. Have you ever wondered how great writing creates an emotional response in readers? As we take a short summer hiatus to book new guests for the upcoming season, I thought I'd put all of these enlightening episodes in one place. And in part two of the series, I invited my friend, research scientist Michael Gribko of the Department of Psychology at the University of Washington, back onto the show to help me define empathy from a scientific standpoint and shed light on the darker corners of how writers can tap into the hopes, dreams, and fears of readers. In this file, Michael and I discuss how science is changing our definition of empathy, what actors and doctors have in common with writers, how to resist the dark side of empathy, the difference between good storytelling and great storytelling, how marketers tap into well-worn paths in our brains, the key to empathizing with your readers, and why great content starts with the desire to help people. If you missed the first in the series, The Best of the Writer's Brain, Part 1, on creativity, you can find it on writerfiles.fm, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you tune in. Cheers. The Writer Files is brought to you by the all-new Studio Press Sites, a turnkey solution that combines the ease of an all-in-one website builder with the flexible power of WordPress. It's perfect for authors, bloggers, podcasters, and affiliate marketers, as well as those selling physical products, digital downloads, and membership programs. If you're ready to take your WordPress site to the next level, see for yourself why over 200,000 website owners trust StudioPress. Go to rainmaker.fm slash studiopress now. That's rainmaker.fm slash studiopress. And if you're a fan of the writer files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published. Mr. Gribko, welcome back to the Writer Files. I appreciate you taking the time out from your busy schedule to uh, chat with me about empathy. Thank you for inviting me back. I'm happy to be here. So empathy definitely comes up a lot in, you know, when we're talking about probably just effective writing of any discipline. And I'll start with a quote from Mark Twain who said, 
that I quote, the author shall make the reader feel a deep interest in the personages of this tale and their fate. And, you know, I think he, he, he's talking about empathy for sure. Yeah. It may not be called empathy in particular in, you know, like fiction writing, but, you know, empathy really is at least part of the definition is kind of a study in understanding and entering into another person's feelings, kind of entering, you know, inhabiting their feelings. And this is definitely what great writers strive for of all disciplines. So I don't know. I think we should just start out by kind of looking at some of the definitions from a psychological perspective, at least so that we can get into that neuroscience piece. So let me start with Oxford English Dictionary's take um, from the psychological theory of Laswitz. I don't know if I'm saying that correctly, but just essentially a physical property of the nervous system analogous to essentially the electrical capacity um, or believed to be correlated with feeling. Now, I have no idea what that means. Yeah, that's a little vague to me too. So, um, <laughs> okay. But, you know, what we're starting to do, we're starting to link that, um, you know, empathy has something to do with the brain, basically. Okay. So that's what electrical capacity means yeah. in the nervous yeah. system. Okay. So in, in psychology and aesthetics, we have a definition that says the quality or power projecting one's personality into or mentally identifying oneself with an object of contemplation and so fully understanding or appreciating it. That sounds closer to kind of a, a layman's yeah. definition of empathy. And then finally, that psychological definition of the ability to understand and appreciate another person's feelings and experience. Yeah, and I think that one's probably the most concise and um, yeah, and kind of hits the nail on the head there. Um, so yeah, I think all these definitions are, are good and acceptable, interesting. But, you know, now things are changing a little with neuroscience because now that neuroscience is involved, we're really looking at the brain activity and what's going on in the brain and what's the neurological kind of correlates for the empathy. Yeah. One of the things I, I think is really interesting is empathy has sort of been recognized for a long time. And, you know, long before neuroscientists really started looking at empathy, humans have recognized empathy and kind of its power and its effects. Um, so it could be, it's kind of funny. It's one of these things where situations where scientists may be catching up with, you know, finally recognizing and catching up with what everyone else knew for a long time. But what's interesting now we're starting to understand how the brain works in regards to empathy. So we can start studying it and, um, start understanding some of the deficits and problems with it as well. But yeah, it's really interesting. You know, this goes back a long time. Your reference to pathos. Yeah, well, let's talk about that for a second. I mean, I think pathos, or as the British say, pathos, um, is a good starting place for for at least for writers because you know writers and, and online publishers and marketers, you know, we, we talk about empathy a lot as just really the ability to get inside the head of your audience, your customers, your readers, and just to go back a step here, I, I love. Eugene Schwartz, and he's kind of this copywriting guru of yours, but his, his book, Breakthrough Advertising, talks a lot about this and talks about the importance for copywriters to possess sensitivity, foresight, intuition. I mean, we're all saying the same things, right? And this was written decades ago, but it, you know, th these are the ability of writers to really tap into people's hopes, dreams, 
fears. And pathos is, is something that's, you know, been around forever. It's, it's that technique used in rhetoric that writers employ and many people employ in all disciplines to inform, persuade, and motivate the audience to feel something, right? Right. Yeah, and that reference to the pathos, you know, it, that was started, was that Aristotle? Is that, you know, it goes back, I think, that far? Yeah, absolutely. And, uh, yeah, this idea of, you know, that the concept of emotional appeal, you know, and this can be seen in acting and, you know, I think this is also seen, this is what we're getting at when um, actors are kind of encouraged to connect with their audience. And what they're really trying to do here is, is, is the audience able to empathize with the actor? And the more the audience can empathize with the actor, the more connected and probably the better performance and the more the audience gets out of the performance or what have you. Um, sure. Also, I think another example, like doctors, have often been encouraged to empathize with their patients and, um, you know, this is a lot. You hear about doctors having a good bedside manner. I think this is what they're getting at. Yeah. So, yeah, it's been around a long time. And, you know, only past few decades have really been studying empathy at the neuroscience level. And so from the neuroscience perspective, um, the definition has evolved a bit now. And one of the key components that empathy from a neuroscientist viewpoint is that there's kind of these overlapping brain regions between a subject and an observer. So there's areas that are active, whether we observe an individual going through some emotional state or performing some kind of task, or we do that task, go through that emotion ourselves. Earlier in the show, I mentioned an invaluable resource for writers. Truth is the arrow, mercy is the bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories based on three decades of writing, failing, and trying again. Author Steve Almond is a beloved professor at Harvard and Wesleyan and the acclaimed New York Times bestseller of 12 books of fiction and nonfiction. And in Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, Steve employs the radical empathy he displayed as a co-host of the Dear Sugars podcast with Cheryl Strayed, where they explored the joys and trials of storytelling to explode myths that hold us back from writing our deepest and truest work. The book includes chapters on plot, character, and chronology, but travels far beyond the earnest intentions of most craft books. It also includes writing prompts to generate new work. Pulitzer Prize-winning author Richard Russo called it one of the best books on writing he's ever read, and also the funniest. Pick up a copy of Truth is the Arrow, Mercy is the Bow, a DIY manual for the construction of stories wherever you buy books, and add it to your TBR today. And just a quick aside to revisit the exclusive Writer Files Patreon community where subscribers get access to uncut ad-free interviews, a writer's happy hour, bonus breakdowns, and a lot more. I know that for serious writers, it can be more distracting than ever to cut through the noise, stay productive, and home in on what's happening in the publishing industry. Over eight years, we've provided a looking glass into the habits of professional writers and publishing industry insiders. And as your humble host, I've decided to launch a membership-based Patreon for serious scribes to cut through the noise, swap tips and tricks, and hang out with like-minded peers. Just head over to patreon.com slash thewriterfiles for bonus writing resources, monthly episode breakdowns, writer's happy hour, a community of your peers, ad-free episodes, and more. It's free to join to get a preview, and you can upgrade anytime. That's patreon.com slash thewriterfiles. Help us start something cool and special. Keep calm and write on. So are you now referring to 
kind of the mirror neuron. I, I'm not sure what the what the terminology is from the neuroscience perspective, but that kind of mirror effect. Yeah. So this is um, you know, neuroscientists generally refer to um, mirror systems, um, and yeah, there's there's also mirror neurons, and I think mirror neurons you hear a lot about. Um, it's become a popular term, but this is a really kind of a specific um, set of neurons. And um, so I'll kind of go into some of the history here if you want me to. Yeah, sure. I'd love that. Okay. Um, so kind of the background and can clear up a little of confusion. Um, and, yeah, we'll kind of start off with sort of the discovery of mirror neurons because that's what launched the whole idea of empathy and showing that um, – it's a product or a consequence of um, neuronal activity. Um, so this was kind of a serendipitously discovered phenomena. So a group in Italy, I think uh, led by Rosaletti, um, was doing some work in the motor cortex of monkeys. And this was done in the early 90s. And they found a group of neurons that were active when the individual performed an action or observed a similar action being performed. So strictly speaking, these are really the only true motor, motor neurons that have been classified. Um, now most work being done on mirroring and empathy in the brain is done in humans, and we use fMRI. Right. Um, so this is something we talked about a little bit in our previous discussion about creativity, was this fMRI technique. So there's some, some limitations to this technique. And the main one is that we're measuring blood flow in the brain. And when neurons increase activity, they require more blood. So therefore, we correlate an increased blood flow to a certain area, in, area of the brain with increased activity, neuronal activity. But we don't have the resolution to say whether a specific group of neurons is active. So if you're comparing two individuals, you know, one performing an action and one observing one, we can tell if similar areas of the brain are active, but not specific neurons within those areas. So for this reason, we usually don't use the term mirror neurons. We kind of, um, we refer to these as mirror areas or mirror systems. Gotcha. Just for, for specificity and, you know, we really can't tell specific neurons are active. But all this work, you know, the initial work just finding the mirror neurons in the monkeys really sort of opened the floodgates to this kind of research and provided a lot of answers to a lot of the questions neuroscience, neuroscientists have been asking. Um, so, you know, continuing this idea of mirror systems, some cool work was done with just touch. So this is another area where we see mirroring. And, um, you know, good examples of this are like um, if you're watching a movie and see a spider calling up someone's arm or a uh, snake sl slithering down someone's shirt hmm. and you kind of get, you know, you, you get the heebie-jeebies kind of, mm -hmm. that's, that's a similar system. You know, you can actually feel that. Um, so some work done by Tiana Singer, who's known Max Planck in Germany, um, showed that there are overlapping brain areas active, whether we are experiencing like physical pain or observing someone else's pain. Um, so basically and she took individuals, put them in the MRI and gave them a brief shock, like, to their hand. And, you know, nothing too painful, but just enough to kind of like a pinprick. <laughs> and she, you know, observed what it, brain areas were active. 
Now she kept the same individual, you know, in that fMRI, and she recorded their, you know, brain areas activated. But this time, that individual was observing the expression of a loved one going through the same painful, experiencing the same um, stimulus. And interesting, they found, you know, some of the same brain areas were engaged, whether an individual was actively sensing the pain or observing someone else's reaction to the pain. Mm-hmm. And this was also done again. Um, there's another study like with a feather duster, similar results where someone's the similar brain activity was seen, whether someone um, felt like a feather duster rubbing up against their leg or watched the video of someone having the feather duster like rubbed up against their leg. Hmm. So this is, um, you know, so this is still touch um, and physical mirroring. But I think now, you know, most people think, about mirroring behavior, and most people are think about emotional empathy, and and there's usually some component that this leads to kind of humanitarianism behavior, mm-hmm. and empathy is sort of the driving force that's pushing us to help individuals in distress and to do good things. Philanthropy. Yeah, exactly, and although this is true, and this this is an effect of empathy, there are also some kind of not so flattering effects as well. Um, so, you know, there, we also empathize anger and stress, anxiety, um, and those can have some real bad implications. Um, and then empathy gone too far, even positive em- empathy and love for others kind of can lead to cronyism and nepotism. Hmm. So if you think of individuals who may be willing to hurt others to help the people that's clo- that are close to them. You know, they're empathizing with so much with the people that are very close to them. They'll harm others. Um, wow. I think kind of a good example of this is, you know, some corporate corruption. And uh, one of the examples that came to mind was like Bernie Madoff, where he was defrauding all these people, but yet he had his sons and his family, you know, incorporated into his his company. And he was really taking care of them. So... A lot of people look like Bernie Madoff. How could he do this? He, you know, he must have no soul. He must not be able to empathize. In fact, he he was empathizing just so strongly with his family that he was willing to hurt other people. Interesting. Yeah. Almost uh, sounds like um, a cult. Yeah, there is. Yeah, I think there is a lot of that in you know some of these darker sides of humanity where we can almost over empathize with hmm. the wrong people. So choose choose who you empathize with. I guess that's the lesson. Jeez, it's kind of like <laughs> the force. Yeah. You know, don't go to the dark side. Just a quick pause to mention that The Writer Files is brought to you by the Rainmaker platform, the complete website solution for content marketers and online entrepreneurs. Find out more and take a free 14-day test drive at rainmaker.fm/platform. This is all really fascinating stuff. And, you know, I think of, I can't help but turn to storytelling. And I know we're not, we're not covering storytelling in this episode, but, you know, I mean, good storytelling is really utilizing empathy. I think so. Yeah. And great storytelling is probably activating some mirror systems. So in a sense, I mean, what what's one of the takeaways for writers about the empathy piece being or realizing that the empathy really comes from the other side? Right. So, right. That's the, the key here is 
the observer is the one empathizing. Um, so the person reading your audience, they're the ones they're empathizing with the character or, or the story. So you, yeah, the key is you want a believable character or, or at least their emotions and their reactions to be believable and familiar too. Sure. To the audience. And this is what great storytelling does. It really taps into that. And so, I mean, I guess as online publishers and, and, you know, we really are, are all storytellers. I keep saying storytelling, um, because it's an important piece, I think in the, in the empathy discussion, but, um, let's talk, let's just turn for a second to, um, kind of online marketing and, and online content creation. And, you know, I know I kind of pointed you towards this piece that Damien Farmer did called empathy maps and a complete guide to crawling inside your customer's head. And he's kind of echoing the sentiments that I had noted before about by Eugene Swartz about, um, well, I'll just kind of pull a quote out of there. We all need to know our customers in order to create products that they'll actually buy. And um, it doesn't start with the product. It starts with the customer. And that means the media you create, be it, you know, a podcast, a blog post, um, um, a story, an ad, whatever, screenplay, these all contribute to attracting that audience and that, and as your audience grows, you learn more about their needs, wants, hopes, and fears is I'm kind of paraphrasing here, but okay. So can, can, can empathy help writers of any discipline kind of to understand and get inside the he- heads of their audience and their hopes, dreams, and fears? That's a pretty simple, straightforward way of putting it. Yeah. Um, again, I think you, know, you have to realize what I said before, where it's it's the observers are the ones empathizing. Um, so a marketer trying to empathize with his or her her target audience would be really difficult. And I think in the empathy maps, you know, complete guide to crawling inside your customer's head, this has sort of addressed the difficulty with this. And um, so it's really important to as is brought up, to research and know your audience. And the better, more research you can do, the better you know the audience, the more likely you'll be to write a convincing story or, or come up with good characters and contact and make it some sort of emotional contact with your audience. Right. That emotional piece is is key, and that's... You know, I mean, I guess one of the facts in there was that these emotional ads outsell informational ones by 20% or something. Right, right, right. Um, Yeah, I saw that. So, um, yeah, yeah, that um, emotional, there's some research showing that emotional ads or ads which cause an emotional response in the audience were much more successful than ads that didn't. And, yeah, I don't really think this is, this really isn't the marketer's you know, empathizing with the customer again. I, you know, it's the customer was empathizing with the the character and the story that the marketers created to sell their product. Sure. And um, and what's going on here is it's this is more going back to memory and um, you know how we how we remember things and how we acquire knowledge. And this is something we talked about in our previous discussion about creativity. Um, so I won't go through all of it again, but. When we form long-term memories, well, there's a couple ways to do it, um, a few things that influence 
the formation of long-term memories. And one of these is repetitions, so just doing something over and over and over again. Uh, another key component is weight. And a great way to add weight to a memory is by attaching emotion to it. So I think what's going on here is, you know, the audience is having an emotional response and therefore they're remembering, they're associating that emo- emotional response with whatever product is out, is being sold or marketed and therefore they're remembering it better. So it's helping consolidate hmm. that memory. So those are well-worn pathways, in other words. Yeah. So it, it's just creating a stronger memory hmm. by when you make an emotional response. So if, if the audience is empathizing with the storyline, they'll just remember the product better or the content of that story better. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, can this go back to, I don't know, I, I, I was speaking with Adam Skolnick about kind of these writing formulas and actually James Patterson's master class on writing where he promises to kind of teach writers how to write a bestseller. And he's clearly learned the formula. A guy has almost 100 bestsellers right. to his name. He's in the Guinness Book of World Records, etc. There is a formula. Hollywood screenwriters are told there is a formula. And copywriters are often working from formulas as well. And empathy is a big piece of that. So it's almost like there's a well there are these well-worn pathways because, you know, we've all been marketed to since birth, essentially. Sure, sure, yeah. But, you know, so much of it is, is really about storytelling. I keep coming back to that. Good storytelling. Right. And, yeah, it's, it's almost, well, I think it comes down to almost manipulating your audience. Not a good marketer is going to know how to pull a, or storyteller or writer, whatever, screenwriter, playwriter, you know, knows how to get to their audience and knows, you know, how to write a character, a story in which the audience will connect on, you know, through empathy. And that just brings us full circle back to that definition of pathos, yeah. <laughs> which is pretty apropos. So, so how can writers of any discipline empathize better? Well, it's, you know, it'd be hard to really empathize. So I think it comes down to, like they said, just doing research because to empathize with your audience Unless you're taking the time to really sit down and almost connect one-on-one with your target audience. If writers are willing to do that, go that far. Mm -hmm. And then they can start empathizing. If they're actually – you're empathizing when your emotional response is the same as the person you're observing. Mm. So if the marketer or writer is actually getting angry – because of something that upset their audience, yeah. or getting sad because of something, some grief the audience is experiencing, then they're empathizing. Hmm. Well, it's really interesting to say that because I think some of the best online marketers and online content creators, you know, are part of their target market. Yeah. And that's a great way. You know, probably if you're marketing, sell it to yourself first. <laughs> Maybe that's a good way to start. Is this something that's going to... You probably are coming up with a solution to a problem that you had. Right. Right. Exactly. Like, is this something that's caused you some distress? Is there, Are you solving a problem? Is this something that's going to make your life easier, save some time? Yeah. And that's the good side of, of the force and the, and the empathy piece of, you know, you're not, you're not really manipulating people. You are helping people. Sure. And you're empathizing with their struggle, hopefully. Right. Depends what you're selling, right. I guess. Right. <laughs> well, that is really fantastic. I think, you know, I guess my next question is like, where do we go from here? How, how can we take 
what we've learned about creativity and empathy and look at kind of the next piece in the in the neuroscience you know what i want to say is under the microscope okay what's the next piece to look at for writers okay um gee that's a good question would it be storytelling (laughs) we keep coming back storytelling yes i think so yeah um you know this is so what neuroscientists are looking at now are really sort of the consequences of empathy and it's an incredibly complicated area to study. So one of the problems we're kind of running into is when we're talking about emotional empathy, there's a lot of different brain areas involved, a lot of different um, neurochemicals. And trying to find the fact is where, where's the root of empathy really in the brain? Hmm. There's some good studies going on. Um, so I won't go through all of it, but like you know, one of the major chemicals we're looking at it, is uh, oxytocin, which has been kind of thought of as the love hormone, and norepinephrine is another one, and that's like the stress hormone. So, you know, what neuroscientists now are looking at is getting deeper in these questions about consequences of empathy, looking at these more discrete structures, trying to narrow down the chemicals involved and the areas involved. And what we're finding is, you know, our emotional states actually have a lot to do with our cognitive ability and have a huge influence on it. Mm-hmm. So, Certain aspects of cognition fluctuate as our emotional states fluctuate. Also, I think stress is another important one. That's something we're looking at quite a bit. And funny, you know, we're looking a lot at um, a lot of work being done with um, mitigating stress and anxiety through, say, use of meditation. So Mm, mm. that's, you know, we're going off into that. I think all this is important for writers too. Like, just um, stress, understanding that your audience, is going to comprehend things differently depending on their emotional states, mm-hmm. level of stress, anxiety, whatever, depression. Absolutely. And yeah, neurosciences are trying to tease this out. It's really interesting and yeah, I'll have to keep you updated. <laughs> That's great. Well, you know, I think we should ask those questions and well, I would love to have you back to talk about both storytelling and the meditation piece is huge, I okay. think, right now. I'm yeah. very curious about that. I yeah. mean, I think I read something recently that said um, that meditation is has been shown to change the way your brain is working. So that is really curious to me. Right. There's a lot of going on. And actually, um, Tiana Singer, who I mentioned, she did the pain study that I mentioned earlier. Um, she's doing a lot on that now. Now she's looking at getting deeper into emotional pain but and She's a big advocate of med- meditation now. So, yeah, there's, there's, um, I think there's an institute at Stanford that just opened, like Center for Compassion and Altruism Research, and they're, like, you know, doing all sorts of stuff with Buddhist monks and wow. things like that. Yeah. And, and then storytelling is obviously, as we kept on touching on, the, the important to have an emotional connection with the audience, the characters. Um, that's really interesting as well. So Great. So, yeah, I'd love to be back and discuss some more of these topics. Fantastic. Thank you so much for taking time out of your busy day. I know you guys are getting crushed over there, but I really appreciate it, and we look forward to having you back. All right. Thank you for having me. I'll talk to you soon. Stay curious, my friends, and resist the dark side of empathy if you can. Thanks for joining me for a glimpse into the workings of the writer's brain. For more episodes of The Writer Files or to leave us a comment or a question, drop by writerfiles.fm. And please subscribe to the show in iTunes if you haven't already. Leave us a rating or review and help other writers to find us. You can find me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. See you out there.